1948, most congregations and houses of worship in the United States were segregated based on the color of their members' skin. Some were segregated by law and others by custom or by lack of actively trying to welcome and include all people. The First Unitarian Society of Chicago was one of those congregations. Maybe you've heard this story before, but I think it's worth repeating even if you're already familiar with it. So although First Unitarian Society of Chicago was located in a neighborhood with many African Americans, only whites could join. This was both according to custom as well as the written bylaws of the church. The day came when many members began to believe they needed to take action against racism if they wanted to really live out their values and principles. And the minister, the Reverend Leslie Pennington, was ready to take action and had preached many sermons on the topic of race relations. Also ready was James Luther Adams, a liberal theologian and social ethicist who taught at the nearby Meadville Lombard Theological School. Jim was also a member of the congregation's board of directors. Along with some others, Reverend Pennington and James Luther Adams proposed a change in the church's bylaws to desegregate the church and welcome people whatever the color of their skin. They wanted to include, not exclude. They saw this as a way to put their love into action. And so when the congregation's board of directors considered the desegregation proposal, most of, them, most of them supported it. However, there was this one member of the board who objected. Your new program is making desegregation a creed, he said. You are asking everyone in our church to say they believe desegregating or inviting, even recruiting people of color to attend church here is a good way to tackle racism. What if some members don't believe this? So Jim turned to the man and asked him, tell us, what is the purpose of the church anyway? And the man said, I'm no theologian, I don't know. And Jim countered, but you have ideas, right? You are a member here, you're a member of the board of directors, and you're helping to make decisions here. So tell us, what is the purpose of the church? We can't go on unless we have some understanding of what we're up to here, why we're actually here. The debate during that board meeting went on and on and on and on into the wee hours of the morning, and everyone was exhausted and frustrated. And then something happened. James Luther Adams would say in a sermon that the Holy Spirit took charge. We might say that love flowed in like water. The board member who opposed opening the church to people of color finally replied, okay, Jim, the purpose of this church is to get hold of people like me and change them. 
the first Unitarian Society of Chicago successfully desegregated. And we all have these biased perspectives, don't we? We all have something that is stuck. And so when buttons are pushed, when we're resistant to change, this resistance is showing us where we're each meeting our edge. There's a part of an institution that wants to remain disconnected. There's a part of ourselves that we don't want to relate to. And it's so, so easy to just shut down, to close the doors, to close our heart and mind, to stay the course, and to keep others at bay. So the question is, how do we instead awaken our hearts? In the Tibetan Buddhist tradition, there is a series of 59 slogans called Lojong teachings, which remind us just how to do that. One of these slogans is, be grateful to everyone. Pima Chodron says the slogan is getting at the fact that it's people, people show us where we're stuck. And without other people, it's said traditionally that we'd never have any other way to practice patience, to practice compassion for ourselves, to practice what it feels like to get in touch with our feelings, to practice opening ourselves up. There's a story about a man who meditated in a cave for 25 years. A very mischievous yogi came to visit him one day, and this yogi was named Patru Rampoche. He was an extremely irreverent yogi. He came to the cave to visit this 25-year practitioner, and he asked the man, so what are you practicing? And the man said, I'm practicing the perfection of patience. Patru said, oh, that's wonderful, that's wonderful. And he sat down next to this man and he started rummaging through his stuff and he started eating his food and the meditating man started getting a little miffed. And Patru starts tearing pages out of his text and messing up his shrine and the man is getting more and more irritated. And then Patru sits down and puts his face right up to the man who's been meditating for 25 years and his breath is terrible. <laughs> and he says, a couple of old scoundrels like us know how to pull the wool over people's eyes, don't we? We really know. I bet you get a lot of donations from people for practicing up here, don't you? And he slaps this man on the back. At which point the guy stands up and he starts screaming at Patro Rampoche. And Patro says, ah, now, where is your perfection of patience? So this is how it is, isn't it? You can keep yourself in a room or a cave with all the windows and doors closed and you can feel like you're the world's most compassionate and patient person. And then when you watch the news or read your Twitter feed, your heart goes out to all 
those people out there. But how about when they come in the door? What happens when you interact with them at church? How about when you run into them on the street or if they become our next elected officials? What happens to our patience, our compassion, our openness and ease when real, messy, uncomfortable life meets us face to face? When that messiness even wells up with inside ourselves? Can we practice being grateful for those moments too? Can we see where they're meeting our edge? I don't think we can do it alone. I don't think we can do it on our own. We need guides, we need teachers, we need a community. We need open-armed, open-hearted, strong, compassionate support, especially in times of conflict and chaos, uncertainty and suffering. We need to know that we're not alone. In Nashville, Tennessee in 1997, four women survivors of sex trafficking, addiction, and prostitution found this kind of community when an Episcopal church, Episcopal priest named Becca Stevens opened up a home she called Magdalene. Becca named this place after Mary Magdalene, an historical figure traditionally cast as a prostitute and fallen woman. New biblical scholarship finally recognizes Mary Magdalene's role as Jesus' closest disciple, the first among the apostles, the only one who fully understood and embodied what Jesus was teaching. And Becca Stevens journeyed with these woman, women through their transformation. And what she learned is that our job is not to change the world. Our job is to change ourselves so that we may fully love the world for what it is. What became blazingly clear is that love is the most powerful force in the world for change. Love is what heals and love has to start with ourselves. Now serving over 700 women annually, Magdalene's love is not a cuddly kind of love, writes a contributor to On Being, which profiled this remarkable place. Magdalene's love comes from a fierce, moment-to-moment -moment presence, hard-earned, razor's edge, breath-by-breath -breath presence. What emerges when you've been knee-deep in death and chose to step through it into life. This is something our Universalist ancestors believed as well. Love is the most powerful force. Love is what helps us let go and be grateful for everyone. Love is what opens ourselves up to new thoughts and new ideas and new experiences. Love that brings about a community, a nation, a world of healing and a nod towards wholeness. Despite one candidate's slogan, it is actually love that can make America great. Love that can transform Americans into caring, compassionate, generous, peace-filled, justice-centered citizens of this world. Love is our hope 
and love is our power. Because at its core, love recognizes that no one is free until we're all free. And we can't all be free if some people's freedom prevents other people from walking or moving or rolling in their freedom. Because some of the things that look like freedoms on the surface are actually privileges. Privileges that protect what we've become accustomed to, that encourage the status quo, that comfort the comfortable, Privileges that allow our fears to remain at the forefront, that isolate us, keep us in a cave, that prevent change. Privileges that allow some to believe, unless you have a border, you don't have a country. This is not cooperative freedom. This is not freedom that enlarges a community. This is a privileged view of freedom that shouts, my freedom is all that matters. This is a distorted view of freedom that allows white people to insist brown and black people should go back to Mexico or Africa. This is an entitled sense of freedom that doesn't differentiate between hate speech and protected First Amendment speech. This is a dangerous view of freedom that escalates conflicts and condones violent forms of retaliation against civil disobedience and direct action. When you're accustomed to privilege, equality can feel like oppression. Freedoms can feel like they're being taken away. Inclusiveness can feel like a deep, deep loss. And for some, these feelings of utter loss bring out fear and confusion and even hate-filled ugliness. But what if we set that ugliness aside for just a moment and we tried to meet this fear in the person's full humanity? in the fullness of their loss? What if we could find some rest and even a small sense of peace, even for just a moment, for what that person helps us practice? What if we remembered that love is our power, that we can work to bring freedom to all, and that includes ourselves as well? There is a song by Pat Wichter that perhaps can be our mantra or slogan or prayer or whatever we need to turn to for an acre. And the chorus goes a, a little something like this. Love is the water that wears down the rock. Love is the water that wears down the rock. Love is the power that won't be stopped. Love is the water that wears down the rock. Mm -hmm. Do, 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 do. Look up the song, and I think it can truly be embedded into your heart more so than my rendition of it because love is the power that can wear down the rock. It can help us look at all of those rocks blocking the world's progress like those monolithic hunks of political granite 
and those sharp and gashing rocks of racism, patriarchy, and transphobia, those slippery rocks of classism and ableism, those pelting rocks of fear and anxiety, and even those smaller, smooth pebbles of denial and resistance. I want those rocks that you and I, that we all share, to be worn down into little sparkling grains of sand and clay. Rock particles so small that water flows freely around, among, under, and over them. These are the kinds of rocks that represent inclusiveness and belonging. These are the rocks that affirm my freedom is not absolute, that my freedom is in relationship with your freedom, that my freedom has to morph and even be displaced in order for us all to live into the radical state of belonging in which we aspire. And what does that state look like? To me, it is an ever-widening circle not a perfectly round circle that grows neatly from this size circumference to this bigger size, not a circle with any clearly identifiable center, not even a circle that is completely whole where a pencil could start at one end and go all the way around and meet it again where it started without any breaks, any hesitation, or any waviness. No, this wider circle that I imagine is misshapen. It has gaps. It may be squashed on one end and balloon out in the other. Its edges aren't even all that defined. It's more like an ocean without any shoreline and flowing with all of those sparkling grains of sand. Those of you who have studied geometry probably wouldn't even call it a circle. But whatever it is, this shape is one of inclusion, of belonging, of being together. So my prayer, my dream, is that the boundless spirit of love, which flows among and through us all, will help us see our rocks, those boulders in our spirit that keeps us closed off, weighed down, unmovable will help us crack open space within our anger and our anxieties, within our hurt and our discomfort, will help us imagine a circle so uniquely shaped that it can only be called radical belonging, will help us remember that the only one who can be changed is our own self. For when we are changed, we can more fully love ourselves and the world as they are. And it is love itself that is the most powerful force of all. May this truth set us free, set all of us free. Blessed be and amen.